0: not so as magic you know never believe it's not so are we live hello hello <clears throat> hello and welcome to comic book herald live hey everybody i'm using founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com if you are here listening live Join in in the chat. Let me know how things are sounding, how they are looking, if we have any issues. Because we got some comic book issues to talk about today. have been working on that one for four years of streams. The puns only get better from here. If y'all stick with me for another four years, I'll have another comic-related pun. Should be fun times. We're going to talk about Gods number two today. We're going to talk about X-Men Red at number 17 We're going to talk about Ali Ewing, our Lord and Savior. We're going to talk about what's good. Good comic book. New series I read today. We could talk a little Marvels. We could talk a little MCU. We could talk a little Marvel Spider-Man 2. Made some progress there. We got options. We got options. We're going to talk about them all today. Get your thoughts in, in the comments. The Super Chat is open. Comic Book Herald is a thing that you can like, support, share, subscribe. All that fun stuff. Helps me out a great deal. Keeps me going keeps me moving through the day. Listen, this one's going to be tough. This is going to be a rough stream today because I've got sick kids at home. Uh, They are not sleeping well, especially the youngest, which means I am not sleeping well, um, which means my wife is not sleeping well, which means things are, things could get loopy. I could just start staring off into space at some point. I had coffee far too late in the afternoon. My stomach hurts. I'm tired. I'm excited about comics because I read some good comics today and that's you know what sometimes that's all you need sometimes that's all you need thoughts on X-Men the end should i read it what like the like the old one like from 2004 is that what we're talking about i'm not none of the end stuff really works especially well um i think the more recent one shot attempts like the the what if Magic became Sorcerer Supreme, which was... Or no, you know what was awesome, actually? Uh, Venom the End by Adam Warren. Venom the End was really, really good. Um, that was my favorite The End comic Marvel has ever published. By far. I don't think it's even close. Uh, and we we read some of the... For the My Marvel This Year Club, where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. probably the best Marvel Comics podcast you could possibly listen to. Uh, we did read Hulk the End. We did read Wolverine the End. Yeah, I don't need them. I don't need them. Uh, it's not like the concept is, because like the thing about Hulk the End is Future Imperfect is a way better version of that story. It's just not called the End. Um, you know, The Dark Knight Returns is obviously a fantastic Batman the End story. It's just not within that line. So yeah, I, I don't think the the name of that. As a concept, I think What If works better, or as like an imprint kind of thing. I I don't really need to see the end again. But that said, that Venom one-shot was the best Venom comic of the last forever. I think that's literally the best Venom comic, is Adam Worm's Venom The End. Not enough people realize that. <laughs> that it is straight up the best Venom comic of all time. Speaking of Venom, I just got to the symbiote suit in Marvel Spider-Man 2 just got to the symbiote suit. I think I'm like 54% through the game. Um so I can't I can't talk about anything past that point. But Marvel Spider-Man 2. Things I like. Great Craven. Fantastic Craven. Really really leaning into like just the like if what if Craven was actually Spider-Man's arch enemy? Fantastic work. Love it. Um, the symbiote stuff is wild and weird and I'm interested in it. I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, don't worry. I won't be spoiling anything. I love the split between miles and Peter. I saw a lot of people complaining that you had to do an MJ stealth mission. Again, I literally did that last night. That ruled. That was awesome. That part of the game was fantastic. It tied into the narrative incredibly well. The things I'm less into are when they're like, Hey, can you ride through New York city on a bicycle? and test out our e-bikes, <laughs> or or when the game is like, you know what, we'll convince you that we are just like The Last of Us, and we are serious, capital A art video games, is when you have to throw out trash in Peter Parker's apartment. <laughs> that, that is how we will communicate that we are art, and not just fun video games. No, it's a blast. I mean, the combat is awesome. Um, I'm excited for the story. I don't, it's definitely not as maybe thrilling as the first go around when it was just exciting to see like, Oh, how are they doing this? Oh, it's a Peter Parker who already exists and has a relationship with the villains. You know, it just, it, it's hard to quite get back to that. Um, but like I said, I've got probably half the game to go. So I'm not, I'm not going to judge it too harshly one way or the other at this point. Um, but it, I mean, it is like, I'm playing it every chance I get, uh, too. you know, the combat is just a blast. So it's, it's, definitely taking up like the, the what's good in comics section here on CBH live is going to get sparse. It is going to get sparse because I'm not reading that many comics in my free time. I'm playing Spider-Man too. And I like to do pretty much everything side mission wise before I go on to the main narrative. Um, So I, I I don't have a sense of like, do people love it? Do people love it more than the first one? Um, All I really saw was complaints about stealth mission, which actually was great. Uh, and, I mean, a few, you know, kind of takes on Craven being cool. I'll tell you what, if the Craven the Hunter movie, which Lord knows shouldn't exist, but if that movie taps into even a fraction of what this game is delivering on Kraven, might actually be watchable. It might actually be surprisingly, surprisingly watchable. So, all right, let's talk about some comics. That's what's going on in Marvel Spider-Man 2. Okay, Gods number two came out today. This is the second issue of the teased eight issue, maybe more, but I think realistically we know it's not. Um, Jonathan Hickman, uh, Valerio Marta Gracia, maxi-series of all new characters, more or less. Obviously, we have Doctor Strange cameos and whatnot. But uh, what was pitched as their reframing of Marvel Cosmic. I was pretty hard on... I should finish that sentence. (laughs) Ah, Good one. I was pretty hard on the first issue. Uh, It it did not really impress me much, I think, given the standards and expectations that I have for one of my favorite comic book creators. Uh, There are two separate conversations, obviously. And the first one, you know, I I talked a lot about, like, the pricing and Marvel's sales strategies. Uh, So, like, there's two separate conversations. One is the quality of the work. The other is... Bang for your buck, sales strategies, launching a brand new series that you're trying to bring new readers into with a $9.99 first issue, particularly in comparison now to the news that dropped this last couple weeks, that DC is going to be releasing these small $9.99 versions of like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and All-Star Superman, which sounds just brilliant. It sounds so great. I'm really happy they're doing that. When you compare that and the value of that to the you know price gouging of, of Marvel's Hickman tax, You know, it sucks. Um, Honestly, I I think it sucks. I still would not recommend that someone go and buy these comics. Frankly, Um, bang for your buck wise, I would say just wait until this is done. Read it on Marvel Unlimited and collect it. Uh, That said, that's the separate conversation. Shoving it to the side. Let's instead talk about what's actually going on in the work. I'm seeing here from Kenji getting some video issues on my end. How do you know it's not your end? How do you know? Uh, Is anyone else seeing that? Let me know here in the chat, and I will do something about it. JD says, as we're looking at the chat here, three great comics today. Who knew the Chronicler would be the MVP today? Nobody. Nobody knew the Chronicler would be the MVP today. Um, Definitely a dark horse. You could have gotten great odds betting Chronicler MVP odds at any point in your life, uh, and even still, because I don't think that's true. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not my MVP. Uh, if there are video issues or audio issues, let me know here in the chat, and I'll do whatever I can. Probably panic and hang up and and end the stream, but I will try. Okay. Let's talk gods. This book is so aggressively Jonathan Hickman entering his Jack Kirby's Eternals era. Okay? Okay. What I mean by that, when Kirby left Marvel to go to D.C. circa 1970, he launched New Gods, his wave of four titles, Jimmy Olsen, Superman, New Gods, Mr. Miracle, and who am I missing? The Forever People. And it's a really interesting cosmic tapestry that didn't quite work at the time at the time. Now we look at it, and it's like Dark Side, Mr. Miracle, Granny Goodness, right? All these elements of the DC Universe that we know and love. Um, but he has this really two in- interesting you know, two-year run. He comes back to Marvel circa 1976, like six years later, and he has more creative freedom than he had originally when Stanley the Manly was, you know, taking a lot of credit, giving a lot of direction. Um, but obviously, Jack Kirby was driving the universe, right? He's the king. Um, so... Kirby comes in and he does a few books. He does uh, Devil Dinosaur, Eternals, and he also does a Captain America run. Eternals is the one, Devil Dinosaur is pretty weird too, but Eternals is the one that feels the most like Kirby saying, I'm just going to do a creator owned book and I'm going to set it in the Marvel Universe, but I don't really care. that it's in the Marvel Universe. I just want to do my book. I just want to do my Eternal Saga. So you get this really interesting addition, especially of the Celestials, I think, as these gods of the Marvel Universe. But then you also have a Jack Kirby saying, you know, creating a a history and origins of a world that is 16 years into a shared continuity where that stuff doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense or work, right? Like the origins of the Eternals and the deviants and the celestials, it kind of clashes with a number of things that we had seen before. And of course, a bunch of continuity doctors have had to do things since. But mostly in spirit, this is a creator who had tremendous, literally <laughs> built the Marvel Universe success, left on not fantastic terms, came back, and then wanted to do their own thing. And the reality of the Eternals, the Kirby version, is listen, I'm I'm a massive i have massive respect and admiration for jack kirby um i have repeatedly and and on record as saying eternals puts me to sleep the original comic book series i've done not a 180 but i've come around on it a little bit more in recent years um where if you keep going with it there are certain elements that do pay off a little bit more but literally if i if i needed help sleeping i would i would pull up an issue of eternals uh i think kirby's visuals are a spectacle are fantastic as always um if i'm actually gonna sit and read that thing uh you know it can put me to bed quite easily and i say that and it sounds probably harsher than i mean it because what i'm getting at is it's far from kirby's best work new gods is way better than eternals like way effing better it's still a master of their craft creating something new within the Marvel tapestry that has had tremendous legs, right, in varying forms, whether it be in comics returning to characters or elements from this series, of course, then the MCU doing a movie. Forget how it did, and <laughs> there's a movie. There's an Eternals movie, right? who to thunk. thunk? Um, it's it's very similar to me of, of Hickman and what he's doing on Gods, where you have this creator who is identified as one of the most celebrated modern Marvel writers coming in and just being like, I just want to do my thing and probably most importantly and most relevant for this comparison at my own pace. These first two issues are slow as hell. Like we're a hundred plus pages in to, to gods right in two issues and It's a incredibly slow paced work that is very willing to take its time in introducing characters, in introducing concepts. It is not worried about, um, exciting you (laughs) or, or pulling you in and trying to convince you to buy the next issue, which is wild. That's a wild degree of confidence. That you have to have. And I think Kirby's Eternals is very similar. You know, it's a creator who just, they know where they're going. They know where they're going and they know what they want this to be. And by the time you get to an issue six, if you have the built in confidence in the creator that a Kirby might have, have, might have, uh, uh, poof, words are tough today, might have commanded. Or that a Hickman, you know, commands in his day and age. Not that uh, making this one to one of Her- Herbie and Hickman is obviously fraught. Um, but the point is, these first two issues, Gods, like they are—they are moving at their own pace. They are moving in their own world. Again, I would not recommend somebody buy these at that price point uh, because they aren't that exciting. I think there are compelling elements. There are things here that I'm like, oh, this could get interesting. It has not yet. It has not, as of yet, gotten interesting. We are 100 plus pages in. Again, to the fandom of Eternal Patience, who loves to say, oh, just wait and see. It's always a slow burn with Hickman. Yes and no. Yes and no. This is still a creator who has historically understood the value of putting some cards on the table you know <laughs> of giving you something and there's very little that has happened here i maintain that price point wise and quality wise releasing this as an ongoing comic is is just a function of marvel's business model they need issues single issues in comic book retail shops because that is the business of comics as it exists today The smartest play with gods clearly would have been a fully collected graphic novel. Like, I I don't know in what world that wouldn't have been a better way to introduce this concept, to give readers the full story. Because, again, when you have this experience of reading an issue, waiting a month, reading an issue, where now we could be four months in before this thing, like, picks up, now you've just built up amongst the people actually reading it, which I guarantee you those numbers are going to be dwindling. Um, You know, now you've just kind of built up like resentment, you know, whereas if it's just the graphic, like the people who are reading this on Marvel limited and a collected trade in, you know, um, nine months time are going to feel very differently about gods than the single issue crowd. Right. So I just think it feels to me like, oh, this is Hickman's Jack Kirby's Eternals era. It is far from the best of what they're capable of. It is an inferior version of of things they have done better. Um, And it's not, it's not really trying to grab us in any particular way. I'm curious what people here thought. I mean, I'm curious what people here are thinking Uh, because the things that are happening so far are, I mean, we, we got like an introduction of a new player named Mia today in God's number two, big Harry Potter, Percy Jackson vibes in the marvel universe um it it's interesting that gods is its own thing because in so many ways you know historically the way this story would have been told is this would have been a doctor strange plot in a doctor strange book right like historic like 10 years ago this would have been jonathan hickman's run on doctor strange and he maps the Marvel cosmology. He introduces the natural order of things. He introduces the powers that be. He introduces Mia, and um, and all of that is kind of set within the traditional framework of a Doctor Strange led book. And I appreciate Hickman and Marvel taking a swing and and removing that safety net entirely. It is a it is a bold thing. I think, for for anyone. Because Marvel doesn't take swings like this where they're like, we're releasing genuinely new stuff and you don't have the safety net of a character with, you know, 60 plus years of fandom. I appreciate that effort. Uh, I think having said that, I'm having a hard time with it. I don't know what to sink my teeth into. I am curious for the people who like it, what are you enjoying? Um, And I I ask that genuinely and not super cynically uh, because I just – I haven't really found that in yet. Uh, I think the stuff that I expected to like was going to be, okay, Hickman reinvents the cosmic landscape. And we get the little bit of confirmation today that the in-betweener, Cubis Core, is in fact the in-betweener. He lives in a box. It's a little creepy. Okay. It's got some element of mystery to it. I mean, I I guess I want to see more. I'm not that tantalized by it. Um, You got the Book of the Black Swans, which is kind of just comics reference porn. You know, like, okay, you referenced a thing that was cool in Avengers and New Avengers. I don't know what to make of that yet. Um, Let's see. What are people saying? Oh, Mike Eagle says, I think it's really good. Okay. I I would love to hear what about it is, is hooking you. Um, Kenji says, surprised how much advertising Marvel put into this that feels like a book that will not vibe with casual or even most readers. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, you know, it's a challenging thing, right? People, Some people are going to love this and they're going to feel like folks aren't getting it. It is not a complex book. You know, I think Hickman can get a reputation for being super cerebral or having these, these really well thought out you know, complex narratives. Gods is not complex at all. You know, it's, it's very much just like, yeah, there's a world behind the one, you know, and it's magic and science. And they're kind of trying to coordinate how reality functions. We've seen narratives like this often, right? Whether it be the matrix or Harry Potter or any number of things that have seeped into the cultural consciousness, you know? Um, it's not complex. It's not hard to follow. It's not hard to understand. I think Hickman's writing style on this, um, it grates, frankly. Uh, the Because the fo- I'm not a Hickman dialogue uh, complainer. I like it, right? I think in House and Powers, it works fantastically well. Everyone talking like a philosopher king, like, yeah, sign me up. Uh, when I don't have the character grounding, I think it grates. I think the stuff I liked the most today in God's number two was the was the introduction of Mia because that actually felt like, you know, it's kind of your kitty pride, right? It's your POV entry point. It's like, well, here's the normal person who gets pulled into all of this and hers, her relationship with the world and, and the frustration she has and her friend who has all the money in the world. But the one, the single conversation between Mia and her friend who comes from a wealthy background and can't understand why Mia is so uptight about, uh, potentially doing not doing well on a test. That's that explained more of her character and her history in like two pages than anything in the first issue did for all the new players introduced. I think, I think it was very successful. I think it was very well done. Uh, and and that, to me, made made me like Mia. And, it, and it, I'm already kind of invested in this character and what her role is going to be. Uh, she can see this book of the Black Swans. Does that mean she's going to be tied to that organization? I don't know. Like, I am curious to see how this can manifest and how it will progress. It's not like I don't want to keep reading it. Um, but again, it's that... I mean, and saying, like, oh, it'll read better as a full a full thing, that's kind of... It's kind of a lame thing to say <laughs> because it's true of every comic, essentially. Like there are so few comics that read better in single issue form on a month-to-month cadence. You know that is that is not common. I don't even know what that would be at this point. There like there are comics that can function in that capacity, but that are better like that. I mean I, that barely exists. I just think this is a book that is it is desperately tied to how does this all come together as opposed to like it being each step having merit in and of itself? You know, it feels like a hundred plus pages in we're at block one. Like we're at the starting line still. Um, and I like to be a little further along at that point. You know, I've shared before, like, you know, I'm I'm really proud of the Compa Carols Best Comics 2023 list this year. I think my best of lists get better every year. Um, and it takes me 50 issues, 50 pages, <laughs> it takes me 50 issues. Uh, no, no, it takes me 50 pages to to have a sense if I'm really considering adding something to that list. I need In a graphic novel, I need at least 50 pages, which means, you know, I need about two issues for me to get a feel for like, okay, I'm genuinely considering this or I can kind of tell this isn't gonna click with me. And we're way, way past that mark. Right, And some things will will obviously keep getting better, but I'm saying if you haven't at least got a foot in the door at 50 or 100 in this case, it's not happening. And I think there's, again, I think there's just like, there's so much goodwill with Hickman. And I say this is one of the biggest fans in the world. There should be, uh, but it can go a little far. (laughs) It can go a little too far where you're like, I will trust in this till the end. And it's like, that doesn't mean you don't deserve a treat along the way. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You don't have to suffer through this, which is kind of, it feels like I'm doing homework to get to the end, um, to get to something interesting, you know? Uh, But I'm sure some of you disagree. I'm sure some of you disagree. I mean, I guess the big thing for me too is like, there are a lot of comics right now that are building worlds that are doing it a lot better, you know, than this. I think James Tynion pretty much every time he touches a book builds a new world and new systems and players who are unfamiliar with the secret ways of the world working, Department of Truth, World Treat. Those are more successful endeavors, modern efforts. Um, Tom King and Elsa Chartier on Love Everlasting even. The mystery of it. The formatting, the inventive use of the history of romance comics, right? There have to be these things that elevate this to another level if it's not just pure popcorn blockbuster. And I don't – for this book, I don't know what that is. The systems of magic. Like that. if you tell me in theory that Hickman creating systems of magic is going to be the core, I'm like, well, that could be really cool. It's not. Black Monday murders – a Hickman book with Tom Coker is way better at that. Like so far and away better than that. And then what we've gotten so far and within two issues, it was clear it was better than that, you know? Um, so it's, it's hard not to, I'm not like, I'm not like mad about it. I'm not like incredibly disappointed. I think the first time around, it probably seemed like mad about it. Cause the issue was so comparatively expensive. Like forget that. I'm just talking. We're a hundred pages in. And, and we know, we know by now, like the Chicago Bulls know by now, (laughs) 20 people just tore their headphones out of their ears. Um, the Chicago Bulls know by now that Zach Levine, Vooch and DeMar DeRozan aren't enough to be a contender in the NBA. We're a hundred pages into gods. Do we know that yet? Mm, You know, because of Tickman, I'm still like, oh, maybe not anyone else. You'd be out anyone else you wouldn't even be thinking about it let's see uh oh mike eagle says i like the dialogue and i feel like i'm being pulled into this thoughtful pocket universe inside marvel almost got emotional during the eco mia conversation but i see your points yeah i i think the second half of the book with mia i that was suddenly kind of a light went off i thought um i was that was immediately and honestly it is the thing too where it's like listen I don't know more about world-building and structuring than, than everyone involved here. Um, but it's like, could the book have started there? Would that have been better? You know? Maybe not. Maybe not. But that was definitely my favorite part. Um, I don't know how thoughtful it actually is. You know? I, I just think... I think Hickman often obfuscates... Like, there's, there's a real line between... Is this smart... Or is this ambiguous? And sometimes it can be both. Sometimes it can be both. I'm not sure how much is actually behind the phrasing and the words and the conversations. Um, and that can be a thing of re- that can be a problem of reader comprehension. Certainly. I do have to slow myself reading Hickman's dialogue, right? Uh, but at this stage, I'm like, I actually don't think, cause I, when I went back, re- back and did the ultimate invasion and ultimate universe, I did have that experience of being like, oh, there's, there's more meat on the bones in these conversations and, and this ultimate, you know, kind of challenge and war here that Hickman is doing between the powers that be controlling global, socio-political um, designs of for the world to retain and enhance their own power and the, the people who would fight against that and then being labeled terrorists. There is more commentary behind everything that is happening there that I think is modern, that I think is relevant, and that I find interesting. Uh, with gods, I just do not know that that's there. Uh, I haven't found it yet. I'm curious what that in is going to be. And again, I think, you know, for just talking like, how this book's going to do. Could it go beyond an issue eight? That seems I'd be, I'd be astonished by that. I really would. Attention spans are slight, you know? And, and I think the idea that you can just slap Hickman's name on something and reach an audience outside the one that already knows to celebrate past works. Uh, it, it just does not ring true to me. Um, JD says, Love your show every week here in the super chat. Thank you so much, JD theory. I wanted to ask you Hickman pulling under utilizing Moira was editorially driven. No to delay wrapping things too soon. Um, I mean, I've talked about this before. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's been addressed. The strategy of Hickman never using Moira until the very last page of his X-Men and then Inferno. Somebody tell me if it has, but I don't know that that's, I, I felt at the time that that was a strategic decision. I was honestly kind of impressed and and kind of, you know, admired it. Um, the I think it was the wrong choice in retrospect. But I, I you know, I, I was kind of like, okay, that's a decision. You can decide to withhold that from us and tell us, you'll give it to us when we're ready. <laughs> so I don't know that that was editorial or that, that was creative. Uh, I think the the post-Inferno fallout and Hickman leaving. Again, that's one of those things where everybody wants to blame the editors. I think the way it has been shared is it was an ex-office decision. Like basically it was put to a team vote. And in in the team vote, everyone said, we want to keep doing what we're doing within Krakoa. Hickman said, okay, cool. Then we won't go to the next part of the story. And then he bounced Um, because he didn't want to be doing that or didn't have time to be doing that or whatever it was. So that's my understanding of the issue from what I've read, I haven't researched or thought about it <laughs> in a while. Um, it's it's a sunk cost, as I often say. Uh, it That alone didn't mean, and th- and that to me is like, I think, you know, everybody, or not everybody, but often, you know, everybody wants to blame the editors and the rest of the X office for ruining the vision or ruining Moira. Mm-hmm. That, that did not prevent Hickman from using Moira in his X-Men saga from building on that between House and Powers and Inferno, that is not what prevented um, an Wing written Moira miniseries that could have been the coolest thing of this entire era. Like those were all, everyone is culpable in falling apart on you know delivering on that that really cool idea. Um, Richard Jones asks, "How is Hickman's Avengers run reading to you?" Fifty pages in, New Avengers number one is awesome. <laughs> I I was so hooked immediately on new Avengers number one. Uh, so really good, really good. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I kind of get the potential, I don't know if this is your angle or not, but there's, there are certainly things where you could say like, oh, well, if you, if you judged this by its first fit, like th- some things are slow burns. I get that. Um, I think Hickman in his original 2008, to 2015 Marvel run, again, there's a reputation for like, a lot of slow playing things, a lot of building up. And that's great. That's that's using the medium of superhero comics as kind of best you can. But again, my thing is you have to also deliver along the way. Um, and I think when you go back and you read those Hickman works, you'll realize that's happening. You'll realize cool things are happening in the build. Uh, it's, it's a balancing act. And it's a very difficult one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say that the Avengers run uh, is I mean, New Avengers number one was like one of my favorite Marvel Now books when it came out. I distinctly remember that because at the time I didn't really know Hickman. I hadn't read the other stuff. And, that you know, I was actually thinking about that today. I think my Hickman experience prior to Avengers, but even Avengers to a degree, was mostly binged. You know, I, I mostly didn't, you know, I wasn't reading Fantastic Four in singles. I caught up on that after the fact. Um, and I, that was such a preferable experience and it, it, often is. So that definitely does shade perception. That definitely does color. I think your thoughts on the matter, but like, I, you know, I'll say like X-Men Red number 17 came out today by Al Ewing and I love that book so much. I love it in singles. I love it every time there's a new issue. Like I always get that satisfaction from a new issue, even though if I came into this in two years instead and read it for the first time, I'm pretty sure I would love it, you know, in a, in a, in a, Similar capacity, but, you know, it's a different experience reading it all at once. So, yeah, I think I get what you're getting at, but it's I, – I think that's actually not the example you're looking for because it was good. <laughs> I knew I was in. Um Okay, what else do we got here in the comments? Banksy says, best of best of lists. It's true. If you were ranking the best of lists for comics, I I have the best one. I think it's kind of inarguable. Um, I I don't think anyone comes close. I'm definitely the best of best of lists. Let's see. Great sports analogy. Thank you, D Rock. Don't hear that enough. Chris Quave asked, "Did Hickman's Substack stuff ever go anywhere?" Yeah, went on Substack. But um, JJ says, "Get Wemby." Don't don't tease me, JJ. Listen, I may have said this last week. There are two things right now that I just can't get over. One is Moira. Everything to do with Moira. The second is that we didn't blow up this Bulls team with Wemby on the board. Insane. Insane. We were like, no, Zach Levine, DeMar, Vooch. We'd rather have that than the prospect of Wemby. Just, come on. Like, I will never get over that. Is God's a jumping on point? <sighs> That's a tough question. I guess it kind of is. Like, but but for itself. You know? Uh, you don't necessarily need a lot of baggage but it's not it's not gonna at this point it's not gonna tell you like about other areas of the Marvel Universe like usually when people ask about jumping on points you know they're like um hawks and you know Hoxpox. is it a jumping on point for X-Men as a whole and you can kind of debate whether or not it is I think generally it's pretty successful at that uh, gods is a jumping on point for gods but really nothing else in the Marvel Universe but could you start there if you haven't been keeping up with Marvel? Yeah, definitely. I don't see why not. All right, what else do we got? JD says no way Hickman wanted that to happen to Moira. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, because every every report was like, oh, you know, in sync and connected with Ben Percy, and they know all the plans. I'm sure it would have been written differently, and executed differently but I don't know that there was actually like a secret Moira plan, you know? And maybe like, here's the thing. Here's a theory (laughs) that I haven't talked about. And I don't, I don't know if anybody else has talked about. What if Hickman just knew he didn't have the juice with the Moira story? Incredibly smart storyteller. What if he was looking at that and he's looking at the X-Men Bible and he's like, this doesn't work. This actually isn't that cool. This isn't going to be good. And then he was like, that's part of the reason then that he's like, I'm getting out. I'm getting out while the getting's good. You know, is that a possibility? No one's talked about that. Is it possible that he was like, why would I not get out on the high of being the guy who saved X-Men instead of staying around too long and being now where they're at now and getting blamed things not being as cool (laughs) as they were when they started four years ago i don't think we can rule that out because if that was because if hickman writes x lives and x deaths wolverine now he's the one taking shade i only 10 percent believe this but i gotta throw it in there it's a possibility jj says jeff john slow plays it better than than what (laughs) get out of town what else do we got Neurotic Manser says, An Uncanny Spider-Man, best Marvel comic this week. Uncanny Spider-Man's good. Uncanny Spider-Man is just straight up good. I think it's my favorite of the Spurrier Nightcrawler stuff. It's doing cool things. It does a cooler thing today with Vulture than Marvel Spider-Man 2 did with Vulture, which was not cool. Watch yourself, Kraven. Yeah, Uncanny Spider-Man is good. I'm enjoying that, actually. Also, Nimrod looked awesome in that book. It's nice to, nice to see one of these super powerful characters and have them be looking great and relevant. Okay. What else do we got? Okay, so we talked about gods. Um, I don't know if there's a lot more to say about it. Uh, It's, it is, I mean, it's definitely a thing where you're not really gonna know how to judge this book until like we're deep into this eight issues and you know, the other thing I will say, too, is like, it's not like Hickman hasn't released eight-issue series, like, somewhat recently. Like, Decorum came out with Mike Huddleston. You know, what was that? When, I think that was when Hawksbox was coming out, you know, 2019, maybe into 2020. Decorum starts out fascinating. Visually incredible. You know? Like, there's, it's not like other Hickman books are like, oh, yeah, the first six issues are a real slog, but by the time you get to eight, you'll, you'll understand it all. It's like, no, they're, they're often very interesting along the way, except for the ones that don't work. And then they never work, you know, anyway, I think it's, it's a weird expectation and probably an overconfidence in the creator to be like, well, I, you know, I realized nothing happened for two issues, but let me tell you, it always delivers by issue eight. It's like, that's historically not very accurate. Okay, what do we got? Draft combo says no shot. He pulled a George R. Martin. How dare you? Uh, what's the <laughs> what's the George R. Martin? Oh, George R. R. I thought you were making a, like a Beatles producer reference. He's, you probably mean George R. R. Right? That's interesting. So is the theory with George R. R. Or maybe it's not even a theory. Maybe he's written about this that he's like, I actually don't think I can end Game of Thrones satisfactorily so I will just do other things and get paid for Elden Ring and uh, and just never finish the books. And that's that's pulling the George RR. Because if you're talking about pulling a George Martin, the Beatles producer, great job on Now and Then, that music video is a damn atrocity. <laughs> that's an abomination. I I just watched it by like accident, basically, on Disney+. Plus and the use of AI to recreate... Just like a clown show, George Harrison and John Lennon. Oh, it was disgusting. I hated that. It just it, even if even if the use of it, like even the use of AI alone, you can have your ethical conversations about whether you like that, whether you think it's grotesque, whatever. Um, I'm just saying, like it was so boring. It was so dumb. They looked so cheesy. Oh, I hated it. Awful. Uh, but I I don't think Hickman's plan was to use AI to pull Moira into a really cheesy music video with Professor X and Magneto. That said, I would watch it. I would watch it. Okay. What else do we got? Uh, Richard Jones says here, Hickman confirmed on Cerebro that evil robot Moira wasn't where he was going. Is that right? Is that true? Because, I mean, that's damning. (laughs) If that's right. Uh, I didn't know if anything that definitive had been said. But you're hearing it here from Richard. Thanks, Richard. Okay, we see J.J. buying into my theory. My my new Hickman theory, that he got out while the getting was good. Not ruling it out. Uh, nobody asked, did the ship really sink? No, it didn't sink. It didn't immediately sink. Um, it hasn't hit on all levels, as you say. Uh, but no, there, there have been good books since. But it definitely, you know, it lost something. And this is something I talked about. Like, it's just, I think the lesson of Hickman off of X-Men is you cannot have a big creative vision established by, you know, a comics star, right? Or a star in the world of comics. You can't have it established by them and have them not a part of the franchise. I mean, all Marvel had to do was have Hegman do like an annual every year and just seem to still be involved, you know? Um, And that would have, I think, really mitigated the sort of just like absolute chaos that it kind of sent the x-men office into but no you're right i mean yeah good comics have been released since including x-men red l ewing absolute king the humor at the start of this issue of taking vulcan down several pegs this guy out here talking about he has a fire he's ruled empires hitting him with a yeah yeah we all have interesting backstories (laughs) that killed me that was great it is also all kinds of uplifting so the, the last issue of X-Men Red, issue number 16, there's the war going on on Arako. Genesis is there. Arako is, is at, you know, civil war with itself. It is a horrendous place for mutants to be shipped to, which is what Orcus is doing right now, shipping them into a war zone. Um, storm ended last issue saying, hey, we still have that Uranus trigger, trigger from, from Judgment Day. Uh, we can use the internals weapon of Uranus. He will come for an hour, do our bidding, wipe out all of Genesis's forces, and we will then retain control of Araco. And then that kind of ended with the implication of like Storm being like, well, I could use Uranus or I could just do it myself, which was super cool because L. Ewing's very good at delivering super cool moments in comic books. It is all kinds of uplifting to see Storm burn out the threat of genocide on Araco. And I think one of the highest compliments you can give a superhero comics writer is when they, like, preemptively write something. Because these things are written well in advance. You know, this issue has to be done months. I mean, at minimum weeks ago, right? To then get to an artist, to give them time to get it out, to then get it to a printer, to then get it in our hands on a schedule, And to have something that feels so current, even with that time lapse, which I think it does. I think Storm's conversation today with John Ironfire about genocide feels very current. It feels very of the moment. And again, doing that within our little silly superhero books. Not ham-fisted, not overblowing the point, not spouting off and speechifying a writer's beliefs, but integrating it so seamlessly and naturally into what is happening and has been happening in X-Men Red, incredible, incredible work, right? It's fantastic. I was thinking about this today. Obviously, I'm, I'm on the record as loving X-Men Red. The stinger, the ending, at the end of this book, with Storm wielding a walking new island, a new mutant that walks like a man who is an island, a la Krakoa, named, what is it, like, Coark, Kark? Kark? Something like that. Um, Just like such a fun way to end the issue. Al Ewing's seven-year run, 2016 to 2023. Pretty stinking good. Pretty stinking good. Hickman's Marvel run was 2008 to 2015. Compare those seven-year runs. Look at Hickman 08 to 2015. Look at Al Ewing 2016 to 2023. They're a lot closer than you'd think. A lot closer than you'd think. In those seven years, Al Ewing's got Ultimates, which was great, Immortal Hulk, an All-Timer, Immortal Thor now, and the Sword and X-Men Red combo. And also a bunch of other stuff, the Defenders trilogy, for example. Okay? The biggest difference, there are two huge differences, I think, when you're comparing Ewing and Hickman and these seven-year runs. The first difference is Ewing will write anything. <laughs> he will, This this man will write a Nick Fury one-shot. He will write a Wasp miniseries. He will do anything, <laughs> seemingly, as it comes up. Uh, Hickman was way more selective, right? The Hickman-verse feels more cohesive because it's a lot more selective. The second big difference is, is by the time we get to 2012, and really even a little bit before that, Hickman is definitely entrusted to a place of, of kind of power and control within the Marvel Universe, um, given the keys to the kingdom a bit. L. Ewing's really never been given the keys to the kingdom. Wrote a Marvel event, but it was co-written with Dan Slott you know, and its empire, which is not one that people focus on a heck of a lot, has never been given the keys to Fantastic Four, Avengers proper, Spider-Man, even like the main X-Men title. You know? um, I guess Hulk, right, is certainly a big book and obviously did wonders with that, but that was never center of the Marvel Universe stuff. Which is a shame because I think if anybody could master a vision... For the Marvel Universe as a whole, it's probably the best superhero writer of the last decade and one who has just an absolute mastery of continuity, as we again see today in X-Men Red, where he's weaving in this Kirby-esque collage page of of reference points with X-Factor, Simonson era apocalypse, with early Aurora Monroe, with modern Vulcan stuff from the pages of the Hickman X-Men. I mean, just a continuity wizard. The fact today that Al Ewing tied this issue to bring in Sunfire and the Red Root Saga, which, like, finished 12 seconds ago on X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics <laughs> by, by Steve Orlando and, uh, and Steve Fox, a flippin' miracle. That's a continuity miracle. That's impossible. Incredible. Like, absolutely incredible to tie into the X-Men Red Root saga. It finished, while I was reading this book, insane. And yet it works. And yet it works. So, listen, is it, a, is it a one-to-one? Is it apples-to-apples? No. But if you're looking at seven-year runs, comparing Hickman's to Al Ewing's, closer than you think, at least the highs, at least the highs. Because, obviously, if you're just going on average, Ewing, he takes so many at-bats that his average is decreased. I think that's how averages work. So I actually played this game for the entire history of Marvel because, you know, when you have a really busy day, the best thing you can do is to decide, okay, (laughs) I'm going to play a game where I can follow only one writer for seven years starting in 1961. The goal is to pick the creator who you get the most good comics out of that seven-year run. So, like, when we get to the 80s, you can't pick Frank Miller – On Daredevil over Claremont, even though I think Frank Miller Daredevil stuff is actually a bit better because Miller's not on Daredevil nearly as long as Claremont. So, like, duration is a huge part of this. 61 to 68, Stanley the Manly, Jack Kirby, creative collaboration, right? 68 to 75, really difficult. Roy Thomas is probably the only creator that I noticed who could cover all seven years. Otherwise, you know, I'd take Don McGregor for 73 to 75 for his Black Panther work, but that's kind of a cheat because, again, I said the goal was to take somebody who covers all seven years. So I would almost pass on this because I'm not a huge Roy Thomas Avengers guy, um, but that's probably, and because then he goes on to do Fantastic Four. I'm not a huge Roy Thomas Fantastic Four guy. I'd almost pass on 68 to 75. 76 to 83, Claremont. 84 to 90, Claremont. The only back-to-back winner The only back-to-back individual who's even considered (laughs) in this exercise is Chris Claremont, which speaks to just the insane longevity on Uncanny X-Men. 91 to 98, this is another really hard one. I think Peter David on Hulk is the only cover. I think Peter David is the only one who gets us all seven years because he's on Incredible Hulk for pretty much that whole time. Personally, I'd go Jim Starlin on the Thanos, Silver Surfer, and then Infinity Saga, um, which gets you to about ninety four, ninety five. But again, per the rules of the conversation, I, I'm okay taking Peter David Hulk and not passing, even though I actually think his Hulk stuff peaks um, kind of in the late 80s, really once McFarlane gets off the book. But I, I like the Dale Cowan stuff, fine. 99 to 2006, my man, Brian Michael Bendis. Put that respect back on Brian Michael Bendis' name. We're going through 2005 right now in the My Marvelous Year Reading Club, and uh, Bendis, Bendis, baby. Breath of fresh air, fantastic Daredevil run. And even, I'm a sucker for Bendis New Avengers. I gotta say, I really am. Uh, So 99, 2006, I'm going Bendis, and it's, I don't think it's actually very challenging. It takes flack nowadays, right? Once you become the greatest, people come for you. But 99 uh, 2006 I don't think you can do any better. 2007 to 2014, Hickman. And then 2015 to 2022, Al Ewing. Who else are you going to take? I don't think there's another option. I think that's the pick. I'm, I'm, I'm rattling my brain right now for, like, who else could you even consider? Jason Aaron's there that whole time, but no. Dan Slott's there that whole time, but no. It's, it's to me, it's pretty easy, kind of, I just, I don't know. I kind of just didn't realize that until today. It's like, oh yeah, L. Ewing has been the best, most consistent superhero comics writer for at least the last seven years with at least, I guess with staying with the same property. I don't know if you hop to DCs or anyone who even enters the conversation? Cause they've had a lot of turnover and change there as well from 2015, to 2022 Tom King, I guess you throw in the mix. Very interesting work. Batman Run is incredibly inconsistent. There's a lot of stuff I like. Don't like Jeff Johns much in this era at all. So for me, that's not even close. Certainly a successful writer. Um, JJ says, Ed Brubaker in the 2000s. uh, Just given the seven-year splits, he kind of gets ripped off in this. Um, just given the way that the years broke out, starting in '61 for Marvel, because I th- if you started it at 2004 with the, with Cap Run by Brubaker, then you throw in that Uncanny X Men stuff. You went 2004 to 2011. You're probably yeah, you're probably getting Brubaker. He'd beat out oh, and his Daredevil run starts then too, right? So now you're now you're getting. I mean, I don't know who's. And then so if you started there, if you went 2004 to 2011, Brubaker. Now you're 2012 to 2019, and that gets a lot harder because there really is a definitive line in the sand. Now it is Ewing, actually. It's 2012 to 2019 because he starts earlier than you realize, and you could run in Loki, Agent of Asgard, and all that stuff. Ewing's winning a lot of these either way. Anyway, you slice it. Who else is in here? I'm seeing Morrison. I mean, no Morrison's not consistent enough. With, with any superhero publisher over the last, you know, since the New 52. um, Oh, that's not entirely true. I guess Green Lantern lasted for a while, but you know, they've been kind of on and off since. But yeah, that listen, I'm just here to put respect on Al Ewing's name, to say that he's more of the GOAT than you realize, at least in the superhero landscape. And if Ewing could finally tap into, like, a creator-owned smash hit... I think people would finally start to realize, like, oh, he's a superstar writer, because you know certainly compared to Hickman, people do not put him on that level, right? Or even to James Tynion, probably. You know, and I, I just think, skill wise, talent wise, with what's been delivered, for whatever reason, Immortal Hulk, I don't know, because it ended on a sour note, maybe a little, you know, kind of it just didn't elevate to that level. I think I think Ewing needs like one to two creator-owned books that just really take off. And for whatever reason, that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Getting your final questions, getting your final thoughts. I'm going to take a big sip of water from our sponsor today. We got big water back again. Xavier here says, the guy that did Walking Dead. (laughs) That would be Robert Kirkman. And uh, I'm just talking about superhero comics. I'm just talking about Marvel and DC. If we're just talking best comic book writer in the land... For seven year stretches; these answers are completely different, hundred percent different. <laughs> I don't think anyone anyone will retain their place. Uh, maybe, maybe Hickman could win a title if you went from what would be the seven year stretch of Hickman two thousand. You could go two thousand nine to two thousand sixteen. You could go two thousand twelve to two thousand nineteen. Because if you go 12 to 19, then you get all the Avengers Secret War stuff. You get Manhattan Projects, East of West, Black Monday Murders. And who's coming for that? Who's coming for that title? 12 to 19. I'd have to think about that for much longer. But that's a tough one. Um, okay. Vengeance says Rom V. I, I was thinking Rom V. Doesn't have the the years that Ewing has at this point. Does have better creator on stuff, though. Speaking of uh, what's good this week, it is, in fact, a Rom V book. Good segue. Vengeance, thank you. Thank you, Vengeance, my only friend. Uh, okay, where are we? Here we are. Rare Flavors. What's good? Rare Flavors number one and issue number two. This is Rom V. And Felipe Andrade. This book is so good. I said I needed 50 issue or 50 pages to decide if a book was one of my favorites 2023. I only need 28 with rare flavors. That's how good it is. Oh, it's so good. If you read uh Ron v and Andrade's previous collaboration, The Many Deaths of Layla Star, you know what you're in for. You're in for an all-time instant classic. If you haven't read The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, do that. I finally I, I read the first couple issues when it came out, which was maybe 2022. And, uh, and then I just froze, and I just never went back to it. Okay. It's just me. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. You'll be back. Soon you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back. Time will tell. You'll remember that I loved you well. Oceans rise. Empires fall. Anybody? Or should we call it? Oh, we back. Okay, good. Right at the end. (laughs) Don't know where I lost y'all. Hopefully it was somewhere great. Uh, Okay. Thanks, everybody, for letting me know that the Wi-Fi died. The Wi-Fi did not die, but I lost my connection to the stream somehow. Just want to stand up for uh, Xfinity. They've been nothing but loyal and uh, actually have done some genuinely good work lately. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for me so maybe next week xfinity will be the sponsor strong possibility i'm sure they're giving me a call right now uh all right any final thoughts any final questions i'm gonna do one final big water sip and then i'll answer final questions and then we gotta go <laughs> matthew says You realized jeff johns was the goat had to take another sip of water that's going that's a good one What were my last words? I'm seeing people say my last words were this guy is a better writer than Hickman. Who was I talking about? I don't remember. Oh, I froze on the I froze on the big water. That makes sense. Like at some point you knew big water was going to come for me and say, listen, we don't sanction the sponsorship you keep talking about. We don't know you. (laughs) We've never spoken to you. We don't respect you. uh, And we don't believe in what you're doing here. So please stop using our name. Big Water has a lot of power, truly. Especially when the water shortages begin. Okay, what do we got? Final questions. Final thoughts. Uh, Matthew says Scott Snyder greater than Ewing. Uh, well, no, no, uh, not not from 2015 to 2022 on superhero comics. Scott took a break. If you're if Scott's peak is what 2000. Nine to 2016 probably gets you Black Mirror, New 52 Batman, and then whatever gets you Batman. What's there? What's the really good one with Capillo? Is it Last Night on Earth? I really enjoyed. Um, that's probably the Snyder Peak, but again, he wouldn't win the superhero writer peak from 09 to '16 because that runs him into Hickman. And I would I would take Hickman's Marvel verse over Snyder's Batman verse. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's fantastic. Uh, but I personally would pick that. Let's see. Kenji says next week is the Doom Dinosaur issue of, of FF. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Guess we'll have something to talk about next week. That's good. What else is coming on next week? Let's look. Let's look here. From our friends at LeagueOfComicGeeks.com, another sponsor. <laughs> can, you act, can you legally get in trouble if you call things sponsors that you have no affiliation with? Asking for a friend. I would just like to know someday. Uh Okay, we got Doom Dinosaur. We're talking about that. We got Immortal Thor. We're talking about that. We got what else? Uncanny Avengers, Dark X Men, Jean Grey. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Children of the Vaults. There we go. Okay, we'll be here next week. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> oh, Alpha Flight. Oh, out. Al- Where's Alpha Flight at? Somebody tell me the Alpha Flight heads. I would. I would like an update next week from the Alpha Flight fan. On, uh, on what the situation is, their deal. Uh, you owe me a report. I would like a report on what is going on with Alpha Flight from their fan, please. Chris asks, update on where you are in Berserk. I've taken a Berserk pause, so I, I'm finished at volume 14. I've been reading uh, Blame pretty exclusively. I'm up to volume four on that, on the manga side. Dip my toes back into a little Kaiguya Sama, um, dementia 21 what else uh and then I'm, I'm doing a i'm gonna do a rapid is there anything great in 2023 that i missed binge that's coming i started philip kennedy johnson's superman world uh, war world saga finally started that haven't read a lick of it until very recently so that's in process and i also went back and po- uh, after his passing Uh, recently Keith Giffen, I was like, I've never read his ambush bug. So I went and read Keith Giffen's ambush bug stuff. Oh man. So inventive. It's so clever. Not everything reads like fantastically. Like it's certain stuff is definitely of the era, but man, it beats Deadpool and She-Hulk to the meta commentary so hard, so hard and so fast. I greatly undervalued how inventive and important and ahead of his time Keith Giffen was in so many different ways. Absolutely incredible incredible comics creator um that definitely the the community is going to miss okay uh any final questions okay looking good thanks everybody thanks for sticking around appreciate you all for being here and as always enjoy the comics